0: Right, come on back. Come on back. Come on. Get your seat. Get your seat. We're, we're doing a series. Anybody remember what book of the Bible we're in? We're in the book of Acts. Yes, the book of Acts. Uh, what? Chapter 26 today. You're exactly right. This guy, two, two extra points for you. All right. So we're in the story of the Holy Spirit's power in the local church. It's not just individual Holy Spirit power. It's power for the entire church. We've been talking about this Uh, for, for for a while. And there's a statement that we say during this series. It's kind of the theme of the book of Acts for the church. It's this, the Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Say it with me. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Now replace the word you with the word us. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us that will live beyond us. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God's Holy Spirit is doing something in you that's going to outlive you, that's going to last longer than you? Every every funeral service we do for a faithful church member, we are reminded, not only by the people who come together and remember and celebrate that person, but by the life that that person lives. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that lives beyond you. And everybody plays a role in the story of the church. Everybody plays a role. The question I want you to ask every time we're reading through the book of Acts is, where, where, what's my role? What characters in the story do I gravitate towards? Do I look like? Do I aspire to be like? Because we're going to remember the promise out of that first chapter of the book of Acts. It's, uh, Jesus said this to the disciples but you will receive power. Say power. Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Last Sunday night, we had a worship night here, and we prayed over people and laid hands on people who were saying, yes, God, give me that power. Because you know what? You need something supernatural in your life if you're going to walk through this society and this world In this time, if you're going to walk through it with sanity, if you're going to walk through it with the love of Jesus, there's something I've realized without the power of Holy Spirit, I'm not very kind, especially on the road. You too, huh? We need the power of God's Holy Spirit because the fruits of God's Spirit become evident as he works in us. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things work within us. And if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, uh, you know, we have prayer at 5.30 and we have the the Bible study at 6.30, I get into the nitty gritty of stuff and I just turn on my uh, great nerd um, personality more so than you see here today. And we just get into the meat and the end of the stuff we don't have time to get into on Sunday mornings. Today we're in Acts chapter 26. Here's the story. The Apostle Paul has been um, arrested and is in custody. And the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, his own people, are, have been plotting to kill him. The Romans have him in custody and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And he just seems to be in this place of limbo. And in Acts chapter 26, uh, we have Paul not only before Festus, this governor, but we have Paul before Agrippa, the king. And that fulfills a prophecy back in the book of Luke where Jesus said to his disciples... And the end times, there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all these things. But before all that happens, you, my disciple, you'll stand before kings and governors. So it's literally happening here in Acts 26. The prophecy is coming. And Paul's been in custody for two years. And he has made his appeal to Caesar. Because one group's trying to kill him. One group just won't make a decision. And in making his appeal to Caesar as a good Jewish man, as a, as a rabbi, as somebody who has been in the Jewish faith his whole life, he is not only a Roman citizen, but he is a follower of, of Yahweh, he's a follower of Jesus. He believes that Christianity came from the Jews. He stands there, and he's like, you know what, I appeal to Caesar. And so that immediately places him as an outcast among the Jews. And here in chapter 26, we've got Herod Agrippa. And we've got Festus the governor, great name Festus. Great name. The next cat that you own should probably be given away, but if you ever buy a dog, should name him Festus. Thank you. Paul is making his defense. And you know what? Paul's defense? Some of you are like, "I like cats. Well, God's going to save your soul." Paul is standing before them, and he's giving his defense. And his defense is more like a persuasive statement. And this is the longest monologue that we have recorded in the book of Acts, of of Paul's. Longer than any sermon, longer than any other defense. And he is telling the story of how he came to know Jesus. Before the king, before the governor, before this entire huge parade of people, if you read the text there was this parade of people important people in the kingdom centurions and consuls and and, and tribunes, they they come in and they're all there and Paul's led in last in chains they all thought that they were there to make a decision or to give Festus some kind of advice but it turns into a gospel presentation with the most powerful people That was in Caesarea. And what happens is that they start questioning him. And we get to verse 25 and it reads this way. But Paul stood his ground. With all respect, Festus, your honor, I'm not crazy. See, Festus had just heard Paul talk about the resurrection of the dead. This dead man, Jesus, who Paul thinks is alive. It literally says that. He's... consumed with this dead man Jesus that he thinks is alive and Festus the governor laughs and says Paul you're crazy and Paul comes back to him and says with all respect Festus your honor I'm not crazy I'm both accurate and sane in what I'm saying the king knows what I'm talking about and he points to Herod Agrippa who is Jewish and he starts making his appeal to another man who is both a Roman citizen and a Jew he says I'm sure nothing of what I said sounds crazy to him He's known all about it for a long time. You must realize that this wasn't done behind the scenes. You believe the prophets, don't you King Agrippa? That'd be like asking any pastor in town, you believe in Jesus, don't you? Don't answer that, I know you believe. But Agrippa did answer, keep this up much longer and you'll make a Christian out of me. Paul, still in chains, said, that's what I'm praying for, whether now or later, and not only you, but everyone listening today, to become like me, except, of course, for this, and I imagine that he just lifted up his hands in chains and said, prison jewelry. We have this back and forth with the powerful people and Paul in chains, And I want to start with a question after this reading. Here's the question I want to start with, and we're going to come back to it at the end of this little sermon. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just sit back and watch us wrestle with this question. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, what obedience decision is in front of you right now to consider? What step of obedience, what decision, what thing is God saying to you? What have you read from his word or received through prayer? Or what do you have in your gut that you just know God has for you? What is it that you're facing right now? Because there's going to come a time, and some of you are in the middle of this time right now, you may not be in chains with prison jewelry, but you'll stand before God and before somebody, and you'll tell a story of what you did. And what, what really encourages and kind of irks me about this story is that Paul is doing everything right. He's doing everything right. He's following Jesus. He's obeying. He's doing everything right, and he's still in chains. Still facing obstacles and opposition. Let's start there. How many times have you, and we'll do this with a show of hands, how many times have you done the right thing and the right thing didn't happen after it? Right? I prayed, I tithed, I did this thing, I loved my neighbor, I didn't flip off the person on 24-27. That's amazing, she says. These are my people. I, did, I, I didn't get, get the drugs. I didn't smoke the cigarette. I didn't do the thing. I did what I knew God wanted me to do. And things still didn't work out. I still, the prayer wasn't answered. The person still died. The relationship didn't. anybody, can you relate with Paul? I did everything right and I'm still standing here in this mess. anybody? That's what's happening with Paul. And, and I want to I I show you something out of, these, out of these verses. We can pull this out. It's a principle that we can understand from this story. Anytime God leads you to do something meaningful or generous or lasting, you can expect opposition. Say it again. Anytime God leads you to do something meaningful, Generous, lasting, to obey him. Maybe you were hearing about, hearing the stuff about Convoy of Hope and you're like, oh, God told me, told me to give a $1,000. Oh. Anytime you do that, you can expect opposition. And we think it should be the opposite, that anytime I do something generous and meaningful and lasting, they lift me on their shoulders and parade me around all of the counties shouting my name. Or I should at least, at the very least, not have to put up with the bad drivers. But anytime, anytime you do something out of faith and obedience, the enemy of this world is working to discourage you from that obedience. You can count on it. Look at the stories in the Bible. We've got the very first story between Adam and Eve. There was a garden, and everything they needed was there. And who was the enemy in Adam and Eve's story? The devil, a snake, tempting them. Look at Moses and the people of Israel. Moses leading his people out of Israel. Maybe you saw the old movie with uh, Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments. Moses leading them out. Who was the bad guy that came along? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go, and then he comes after them. Look at, the, look at the story of David and Goliath. Tr- classic hero-villain story. Look at the story. There's a story about a father and a son. God called a, a, a son to, 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 to help the empire and use the force. Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Wait, that's not in Scripture. What about the story of Jesus? Jesus comes to this earth. He's betrayed by Judas. He's tormented by demons. He's accused by priests. People in his own tribe are trying to kill him. Another, a different Herod from the one in Acts 26 that we're in tries Jesus, Pilate, the cross. And here is Paul called by God, waiting, continued delay, trials, questioning, lived with chains, chains big time opposition. And I think you can identify with this. You finally decide to bring the family to church one Sunday, and everybody gets in a fight on the way, and the 10-year-old uses a cuss word you've never even heard before. And you're like, hashtag blessed, you know. You decide to get out of debt and create a plan, and what happens immediately? Two tires blow out on the car. And here's an unexpected $500. Heck, let's make it $700 because of inflation now. Maybe you just started serving in the kids' ministry for the first time, and you're serving with the kids, and some adorable three-year-old comes up and gives you a big hug, and then just loses breakfast all over your awesome AFA t-shirt. You've got bits of goldfish and stomach acid all over you. Maybe God gave you a dream, and you tell somebody, somebody that you, you, you're like, God told me, God gave me this dream, and instead of encouraging you, that person looks at you and says, yeah, but you don't have the money for that. Yeah, but it's, it's never going to happen. Not enough people care about it. You, I know, but you need a degree for that, and you're just crushed. I, I, I want to pull something out of the story that's true from Paul's life because we can identify with it, and it's a, it's a standing principle. The moment you step out in obedience and in faith, a battle begins. The mo- will you say that with me? The moment you step out in faith, a battle begins. When I graduated high school, I, um, I, I, I played some music and I went to Wingate University. Anybody ever heard of Wingate University? Yeah. When I used to preach, oh, nobody here, nobody here has heard of it. Oh, okay. Back here. Thank Yes, you have. We went there at the same time, I believe. Uh, I, one over here, I see that hand. Usually like when I used to, preaching to the Northeast, nobody had ever heard of it, but now that I'm here, you don't care. So anyway, I was at Wingate University, and I was a music major for a couple years, and I had this gnawing sense, kind of like what I talked about with the opening question, what's that step of obedience, what's that thing that God has in front of you right now? And that thing for me at 19, 20 years old, and I ran from this for, for a while, was You know what? God's called you to be a pastor and to preach. I didn't want to do it, but I remember going to to a professor at that school, at Wingate. I sat down. I went to two professors. I sat down with one, and that person told me, "Well, if you can't sleep at night unless you do what God's telling you to do, you should probably try it out." And I went to another professor, and this professor told me with colorful, very vibrant. Language that I was out of my mind, that I was giving up. And some of you are like, you should have listened to him. But uh, <laughs> thanks for laughing at me being terrible. Uh, so I'm out of my mind. You're on a, I was on scholarship. I wasn't paying for anything at Wingate, I had my own apartment on campus. Yeah. I was like, I can't shake it. I got to do it. You're out of your mind. You're, wa- you're wasting these years. We have an in- there's an internship set up for you, and you're going make- to make good money. And you know what? I, I think if I'd have been older at the time, I may not have done it, but I transferred, and I went to seminary. You know what happened that summer? That summer, the grants that were paying for my scholarship went away. And I don't know that I would have been able to afford that degree program without that help. And for me, that was just God confirming that, hey, I see you. You know what? The devil doesn't bother with people who aren't a threat. Don't be surprised when you step out in faith and you face opposition. If you're walking and following Jesus at any level, entry level, the long-term plan. At any level, you have the attention of the enemy, and the enemy is going to use everything that happens in life to block you. Because here's what I know. Life happens to everybody. Life just happens. The tires blow out on the car. People that we love pass off into eternity. People get... Life happens, and it happens to everybody. Jesus followers and non-Jesus followers... And I can confidently tell you this, if you do not follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that the tires are going to automatically blow out and everything is going to come crashing down in life, because life just happens. And I'll say this with confidence, if you follow Jesus, sometimes the tires are going to go out, because life just happens. But the opposition that comes your way when you follow Jesus will specifically work on you. This thing called life will work on you in specific ways to get you to sidestep and to get you to become focused on yourself. See, Paul could have easily been focused on himself. Well, Pastor Nate, are you saying that there's no blessings and there's no honor and there's no... no, 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 There's no benefit to following. No, there's total benefit, eternal benefit to following Jesus. Are you saying that miracles don't happen and when we pray things I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that sometimes there's funerals. I've I've been to some lately. Preach them. People I love. Sometimes there's heartache. Sometimes there's accidents. Sometimes life, life will continue to happen. Paul could have easily been focused on himself. Why am I here? Why are they coming against me? Why, why, why? But he kept answering. He kept bringing focus. And he kept preaching in his chains. Do you know why? Because chapters earlier, he received a message from God in prayer that I'm sending you all the way to Rome to preach the gospel. And instead of seeing his chains as something that was holding him back from preaching the gospel. He saw them as jewelry and as tickets to be in front of some of the most powerful people to preach the gospel of Jesus. I hear people good, well-meaning Christians say things like, well, they won't let me pray at my job. They won't let me pray at school. They won't let... Who is holding you back from prayer? Nobody. You can pray anywhere. Nobody can stop you from praying. Now, It's kind of weird to go around just declaring prayer openly in front of people who may not know or care about the faith that you are so passionate about. And yes, there are laws in our lands that keep us from shoving our faith on other people against their will. But you know what? If you're in chains, you can preach the gospel of Jesus to an audience that stands in front of you whether that be the cellmates or the king and the governor. If you're, if you're in an office and you have a cancer patient with you, you can sit there and pray for them the whole time before God without ever letting them know that you're praying. You know why? Because your prayers aren't about you. Your prayers are about what God is doing in you, through you. And if your name has to be on it, you probably aren't ready to wear some chains. Is that too real? Paul could have easily be focused on himself. And he says things like this in this chapter. If you decide to kill me for believing that Christ raised from the dead, I'm ready. Paul faced his haters. People who hated him because he was Jewish. Because he was a preacher. Because he talked about Jesus. And maybe you faced haters. How did Paul do it? He did it with confidence. With boldness. With clarity. And with with an incredible intelligence. And you can't stand up to the haters and the oppressors like that if you don't have something within you that is going to live far beyond you. If you always have to be the main character in the story. The main character in the story is always the gospel of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit inside Paul was louder in that moment, than his own insecurities. And that's a principle we can live by. The Holy Spirit can be louder in you than the opposition that is all around you. You know what? What Festus and Herod did not get from Paul? They did not hear how bad the, 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 the prison cell was, or how the chains may have rubbed his arms. They, they, did, they did not receive from Paul a smear campaign on the people who were accusing him. Paul did not stand before them and just start picking out all the sins of the Sanhedrin and everything of the people that were accusing him. He didn't attack the morality of the previous governor, Felix, the guy who married the high, who, who murdered the high priest and married this Herod's guy's sister who oversaw the slaughter of Jews. He didn't stand there and and, and project an offense that was indicting other people. He didn't complain. He 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 didn't write letters of complaint. What we have in the New Testament from Paul is letters, he counted it an honor to suffer for Jesus. Paul didn't attack the emperors. He didn't attack Claudius or Nero, or the government who held him in custody. What did Paul do? He engaged the opposition. He acknowledged that people were against him. And he put all of that in its right place before Christ. You bring these oppositions against me, these accusations against me, there's no evidence for them. I'm here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive. The only attention he gave was to truth, to God's truth, and he stayed obedient. And our reaction in opposition says the most about what is inside of us. How you react and conduct yourself in opposition and suffering says a lot about what's inside. If our purpose in life is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we believe as Christians that it is, right? Thank you. Y'all. We believe that the Holy Spirit has a purpose for our lives, right? Yes. Okay. Just check it. Our lives are going to share what's inside of us when we're squeezed. Are we sharing gospel? In the midst of opposition and suffering? Or are we focused on what everything that's that's going wrong? If our reactions are to attack, to belittle, to demean, and you're like, I don't attack, I don't belittle, I don't demean, how many videos of the opposition are you sharing with people? You know the videos those YouTube videos that any Joe Blow on the face of the planet could make about any particular thing. I'm not talking about funny TikToks. Keep sharing those. I'm talking about the ones that are making fun of a specific people group. If our reactions are to attack or belittle or demean, if we come out more excited about a boycott or a man-made campaign, the sins of other people, or our own if we if we focus on our own liberty and our own values, guess what? At that point we are acknowledging and giving our energy and our attention to the haters, the naysayers, the critics, and the doubt. How do you respond to critics with a bunch of boos and hand wringing? How do you know Paul wasn't responding to his critics that way? He endured. Did he answer their charges? Absolutely but he preached the gospel of Jesus intelligently. He didn't attack them, and he never reacted with violence or with hatred. And when he was attacked, when he was criticized, when he was was accused of preaching blasphemy and falsely accused of inciting riots, and when they attacked his character and they criticized him, he didn't let the criticism get to his heart. And he also didn't let the praise from those in the church for him go to his head. Before this whole thing happened, he is meeting with people, and they love him, and they're comforting him, and they're telling him everything that's going on. And he, he, he did not let that praise. Remember, one guy named Agabus, prophet, he basically said, this is what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to be arrested. This is, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. And he knew what God had called him to do. He didn't let that praise get to his head. He didn't let the criticism of the Sanhedrin get to his heart. Paul didn't answer to the critics. He answered to God. Paul didn't answer to the naysayers. He answered to Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus. Instead of engaging culture and engaging everything around him at their level, he appeals and turns to a higher power constantly. And that's a word for us. Instead of engaging at the lower human level, can I encourage you to to engage at a heavenly level with your life? Do not get caught up in the entropy, the swirling negativity that makes it all about me. Because you don't answer to those critics. You don't answer to those haters. You don't answer to those naysayers. You answer to God. And this God and his Holy Spirit is always more powerful than what's happening at the lower level. And as cliche as it may sound, the more time you spend on your knees directly in prayer correlates directly to the strength you have when it comes to the opposition in your life. The greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. Nehemiah says it this way, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. The greater the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. Remember the Lord and keep fighting. You made a decision and you made a commitment to pay off that debt. Keep fighting. You made, a, you made a decision to work on your marriage. Keep fighting. You made a decision to go to meetings and break that addiction. Keep fighting. You made a decision to forgive that knucklehead in your family. Keep fighting. Keep fighting and battling for your obedience to God. Pray as if you, you may have heard this before. Pray as if everything depends on God and work like everything depends on you. You ever heard that? I've heard it several times. I've preached it, I've used it. I'm at I'm at a different place in life now where I look at that and I'm a little disturbed by it. I like the first part, pray as if everything depends on God. But this part of work like everything depends on me. I take issue with that. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not advocating laziness. Okay. I understand the intent behind that. Work hard, grit, don't be lazy. Yes. Amen. I'm with you. But, but work as if everything depends on me. You know what? I'm going to overwork myself into an early grave. And that is not the promise that I receive from God about this life. You know what he promised? He promised an abundant life, a life filled with his goodness and his hope and his mercy. It doesn't mean that I don't work. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying pray as if everything depends on God. Work like the, holy, like the power of God's Holy Spirit is actually in you. That power is in you. That power is in you. If you aren't ready for opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. The greater the opposition against you, the greater for the opportunity for God to fight for you. And I go back to the question that I had at the very beginning of this thing and, and our, our worship team can come on up. Because we're going to say some prayers here in just a minute. I go back to my opening question. What is in front of you right now when it comes to obeying God? Take, take a minute and think about that. Some of you, you can immediately just go there and you know, man, God's been saying this to me for years. Some of us, we may need a minute. Because some of us, we've we've been going through hard times. Next week in in Acts 27, I'm going to preach about hard times. We've only got two more weeks in this whole Acts series after this week. I'm kind of sad. May start it over. I don't know. What decision, what obedience do you have right now? sitting in front of you from God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I understand you probably are just thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm not even at the place where I hear from God. I'm just at a place where I know I need something more in life than what I've been given. I need, I, like, you, you may have come into a church today out of desperation. You may have tuned in online out of some kind of desperate need. Like, there's something, we're gonna pray for you in just a few minutes too. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I just just want you to think about that for a second. What is it that God is saying to you? It could be something from Scripture. It could be something from prayer. I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than your insecurities. The Holy Spirit is more powerful and bigger than your fears or your anxiety. The Holy Spirit is bigger than your worry or your doubt. I also want to encourage you with this. Your your worry, your doubt, your anxiety, your fear, your insecurities, these are not things that, that God is using to condemn you. These things are things that he frees us from so that we are not condemned. This worry, this anxiety. If you struggle with anxiety, you feel condemned. You feel there's no hope. If you struggle with worry, you you are filled with angst. In the middle of the, the great hall before the king and the governor, the apostle stands there and preaches the gospel of Jesus. Fully convinced fully bought in, fully living out for the main character. And it wasn't himself. If anything, obedience to God reminds us again who the main character really is. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. If you're at a place in life and God's got something in front of you for you to obey, I want to pray for you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you could just put your hands out in front of you. If you're saying, Nate, you know what? Yeah, there's an obedient step and and yeah. In the name of Jesus, I pray God's power over you. I pray his holiness over you. I pray his peace over you. I don't know what the decision is. I don't know what what God's saying to you, but what I do know is that if God's saying it, there's freedom and there's blessing and there's peace on the other side of this decision. And will it come with its own problems? Absolutely. But it also comes with the power of his Holy Spirit. It's bigger and more powerful than the problems. So I pray for you that your faith would be increased and that your life would be built more and more on the foundation of his gospel truth. We constantly just stand up from the seat at the table. we give that main seat back to Jesus over and over again and if you're in this place and you're far from Jesus and you want to pray a prayer with me and you want to make things right with Jesus it's more than just saying a prayer but saying a prayer helps it's a good start maybe you've been away from you maybe you've been close to Jesus before and you're just like man I got to make things right if that's you with everybody's heads bowed all over the place we're not trying to single you out but If you'd say, yeah, Nate, pray for me. Just throw your hand up or make eye contact with me. Pray for me, Nate. I need to make things right with Jesus.